In today's episode, we discuss the 17 time periods of the Bible. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Colby Junkin and I have worked together for several years at a camp in central Alabama, but we've known each other longer than that. Uh, we've just, uh, in many ways, just run around with the same sort of people. And so we've gotten to know each other through different events we've been at over the years. He has been in Florence since 2014 with his family, his wife, and his three boys. He originally was working with the Riverbend Church there, but they have recently merged with another church and he is now working with the Singing River Church. He is somebody who is very passionate about understanding these 17 time periods. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So we are discussing the 17 time periods, and I've, I'm not sure where this originated. I've heard about it for years, and I'm excited to hear you talk about it because I've never actually sat down and had the whole thing explained to me. First time I heard it, it was attributed to Bob Waldron. Uh, I'm not sure if he's the one who initially, I know he had a a small booklet that he Mm -hmm. had published at one point on it. Uh, Is that your familiarity with it? Is that where it comes from? So, I mean, really in a long story short, uh, I was in CEI one day and, and picked up Bob's book, Three Cycle Approach to the Bible. And I was just a young evangelist at the time. And when I picked it up, I mean, it really helped ground me just by my instruction and education of just understanding the entire timeline of the Bible. That while yet we have 66 books and I can memorize those books and I can know, you know, the authors and and different things like that. What the time periods help me specifically is it helps me take those books and put them into that narrative, into the history that God gives to us throughout the Bible. And that just, that enables me to, to better understand the Bible from beginning to end. So how would you define the 17 time periods of the Bible? You think about it from the perspective of saying, I know my Bible. It's much more than just knowing books or just knowing just a few memory verses, but actually knowing the, the biblical story of Genesis to Revelation and how all of these things are brought together. All of these things are tied and there's a continuity there that God has given to us, preserved for us, so that when we open up our Bibles, again, it's if I open up just a random passage, I immediately in my mind, I'm going back to, okay, where's the time period? What, What specific things are happening before, after? And it just helps me better understand 
specific passages before I may be teaching on them or talking to somebody about them. The real benefit is that it helps you keep what you're studying in context. I was born and raised in a home that that I went to church. I, I was supposed to know things because I was a, a pastor's child and and I was supposed to know the Bible more than others. And when I finally became a Christian at the age of 19 and sat down with other Christians and began to really talk about the Bible, I realized my knowledge of the Bible was, was little to nothing. And what became the foundation of everything that I've built since that point to now is really surrounding these 17 time periods and just a continual and I tell people that I study with on a on a regular basis, this is something that I do myself on a on almost a weekly basis of just grounding myself and, and firming up because all good Bible study goes from the general to the specific. If I can understand the airplane view and understand it so well that when I drop down to the specifics of the Bible, then I'm I'm not just dropping down into an unknown territory. It's something that I've already accustom myself to that, you know, I know the events before, I know the events after, I, I'm jumping into something that I can readily know. So there is a theory of education that's called hanging hooks. And yes. the idea is you essentially, uh, like you said, go from general to specific. So you give people a general overview. And then whenever you go to a little bit more specific, they have these hooks on which they can hang new information. They can essentially categorize yes. new information in proper places so that it is easier to understand how this fits in. Is that essentially the way this this process works? In, in my mind, absolutely. And, and okay. really, that's how Bob in his pamphlet, you know, three cycle approach uh, the first cycle is just essentially just introducing the 17 time periods individually and nothing more than just their names, you know, before the flood, the flood, the scattering of the people, the patriarchs and so forth. So you have the time periods. And then the second cycle that he gives you is you you go through specifically if you're teaching it, in which I've done this with with children's classes, I've done it with adults. And when I do that, the second time or the second cycle is, is just, well, what contents, what stories, what events happen in each of these? So if you begin with, you know, before the flood, I mean, we're taking everything from the creation to Adam and Eve in the garden to their sin to Cain and Abel and, ten, and then those first 10 generations from Adam to Noah. So that's that second cycle. And then the third cycle is is really what I, I look at the most, and that is the scriptural limitations. You know, Genesis 1 through 5 is before the flood. Genesis 6 through 10 is the flood. Genesis 11 is the, you know, scattering of the people. And then as you go through those 17 time periods, you're, you're looking at, I'm looking at the specific scriptures that deal with that. And then knowing those things and, and knowing some specific dates, that occur in the Old Testament, such as the, the date of the Exodus, the date of the United Kingdom, divided kingdom, Judah alone, the date of going into a Babylonian captivity. All of those things are beginning to plug in. And along with that, now I'm plugging in the major prophets, the minor prophets into their proper place. Because I don't, I, I know that we're probably all the same. When we open up 
Hosea, we may be saying to ourselves, well, who's Hosea talking to? And, and why does he say it so graphically here? And But if you know that Hosea is an eighth century prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, it just it fits everything in. And, and he's prophesying during the divided kingdom. It helps you better understand the author before you even jump into the book. All right, so I'm going to give you the big task of actually running down the 17 time periods. So the 17 time periods that I have, and I believe these are the same that Bob teaches, is before the flood, the flood, the scattering of the people, the patriarchs, exodus from Egypt, the wilderness wanderings, invasion and conquest, judges, united kingdom, divided kingdom, Judah alone, Babylonian captivity, return from captivity, years of silence, life of Christ, early church, and letters to the Christians. And of course, that final time period, letters to the Christians, that's the time period that we continue to find ourselves in at this very moment. We're still living under that the, the dominion or the authority of the apostles and, and of Christ himself. So what I usually do in, in like if I'm teaching a Bible drill class with kids, you know, I, I'll begin with that question. Do you know your Bible? And, and quite often it's, well, I've memorized the books, but I'm talking about remembering the Bible. And in that second cycle, the cycle where we're looking at the contents, the specific characters and events, that's where I take time to, to maybe start talking about the messianic promises. You know, Genesis 3 and verse 15, before the flood, we already have a promise of a savior. Somebody is going to come of the seed of a woman and he is going to crush the head of the serpent. And, and then with the patriarchs, those three promises given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, land, uh, nation, and seed, and how they themselves then become another backdrop or backbone of the entire Bible, because it's the fulfillment of those three promises that really directs the history of that chosen family to the chosen nation and ultimately to the chosen people, and that's all of mankind who can be saved through Christ. Well, and the other thing that I appreciate about the 17 time periods is that it forces us to give attention to each piece. Yes. And I think that's another one of the difficulties we've faced, especially raising children in these Bible classes, is the Bible classes that get the most attention are the ones that have the coolest pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish, you know, that's a cool picture. That's a cool idea. Samson and all his muscles. Well, that that's a cool picture. You know, mm-hmm. David watching over some sheep. That's a cool picture. But if you really look at the stories as a whole, Jonah and the big fish is a pretty small piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And it would be easy to leave that out if it wasn't such a cool picture. Or Samson and his muscles, you know, that that's a cool picture. But in the scheme of things, it's really not where a lot of the attention is given. But when you look at the 17 time periods, each piece of the puzzle gets its own focus, gets its own, you know, image. So if I remember correctly, the classes that I was brought up in, uh, they tended to focus on the Garden of Eden, the sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, We like the story of Abraham and Joseph. Uh, We get about halfway through the book of Exodus where the stories end and the law begins. And we're like, okay, we're going to skip a few books. (laughs) Let's get over (laughs) to one lesson on Joshua. 
Mm-hmm. And then we'll spend all time, all this time on these judges stories because those are cool stories again. Oh, wait, wait, let's skip some more. We want to get over to the next cool story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you lose this attention on these pieces of the Bible that really deserve our attention. They deserve Absolutely. our focus because, like you said, they are there for our learning. Um, I, I love Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, we lose that sometimes whenever we do our Bible study because we'll grab three or four witnesses and we won't focus on the large cloud of witnesses that we have there to help us learn how to better follow Jesus. Well, I think one of the things when it comes to Bible study and just understanding the Bible too is is we we want to, well, that's that was in their time and their day and it's so much different now. But when you open up the minor prophets specifically, I mean, you find yourself in the thick of it with them. You, you, you read about the environment that these men are being sent to prophesy concerning God's judgment or concerning God's uh, call for them to repent. And, and you think about it and you're like, you know, really, that's no different from America 2022. I mean, we are we are facing very similar accounts of of man's wickedness, and we we are given the same message of that there's an impending judgment, that there's salvation. And once again, when you think about Jonah, it captures our attention. But we need to take note of how Jonah is used in the New Testament, where Jesus says, if you know this about Jonah, how he was in in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth. And, and that tie in and making the application sometimes between the old Testament passages, old Testament stories and narratives to our modern day lives. I I think that we kind of fail our children. Sometimes I fail oftentimes myself is just making those applications to our everyday lives where the Bible is not some, outdated, you know, it's not a book that's just opened every once in a while, but rather the Bible is relevant. The Bible is is ever-present need in my daily life because it gives me the principles by which every decision I'm going to make is going to be made upon. Well, it's like Paul says, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we might have hope through endurance and so that we might have hope through the encouragement from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, and we lose sight of that when we pick and choose which scriptures we're going to give attention to. It is a daunting task to say, well, I want to know my Bible. Because it is, it is a huge book. It's filled with thousands of words, thousands of verses, you know, 66 books. That's more books than a lot of people will ever read, you yeah. know, unfortunately. But when you understand these time periods and, and can piece together all of these different periods and put, put the books that go with these periods and then the content that comes with all of that, it just helps you that, that you feel comfortable. If somebody says, hey, well, let's open up to this passage, it gives you that comfort of going, okay, I can know at least where I'm going you know, right now before we even open up to that passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, uh, the companion passage to Romans 15, verse 4 that you read just earlier. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now these things happen to them 
Paul's talking about Israel as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. You know, in that context of the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Moses is leading them through the Red Sea. Israel is baptized into Moses. They are are given water from the rock that followed them. Christ is that rock. And then while they're in the wilderness wanderings, they fall away because of paganism. They fall away because of sexual immorality. They fall away because of other things. But what Paul says there is, hey, Corinthians, what happened in the books of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, those are things that are speaking to you even here in, in their time. And then reaching forward another 21 centuries, it's still speaking to us because mankind is continuing to be led astray through paganism, through sexual immorality, and all the other vices that, that we have against us. You know, the Bible continues to be relevant. The Bible continues to be ever-present if we're just willing to open it up and, and study it. One of the things I was thinking about when you were talking is I, I opened up to Isaiah 45 and verse 1. You know, thus the Lord, or thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. So Cyrus is named there, and Isaiah, I believe, is writing around 740 B.C., and then in 536 BC, when Cyrus, the Persian king, comes to power, Ezra writes about him in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 and says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And Cyrus is the one that released the Israelites to go back from Babylonian captivity. And here we go from the divided kingdom to the return from captivity in just two passages. But if we can see those connections, that, that here's a man, you know, prophesied by Isaiah 250 years prior to him ever even coming to existence, much less exactly who he would be and what he would do. You know, fulfilled prophecy is one of those things that absolutely is, is an essential evidence to the continuity and to the inspiration of scriptures. It just doesn't happen that way if man was writing it without God's help. My foundation to, to, to the knowledge that I may have today would never have been possible without just taking in the 17 time periods and going, okay, there's a way that I can, I can understand in a very simple manner how God was able to orchestrate everything in human history from the dawn of creation to Jesus's arrival, and now even to the time that I'm living, God is still there, and he's the one behind all the scenes all along, and he's the one that's been able to do these things and to bring about all of this stuff. And and when I began to see that, it, it just helped me immensely. As a young Christian, just really learning the Bible, I thought I knew it, but now I'm truly getting to know my Bible. To where now, when I pick up a Bible, it's, you know, I know it. I, I feel intimate with it. I, I know, you know, even to the point that, you know, you become to know your Bible so well, you know where the passage is on the page. Yeah. And that's that's just what this has helped me do as I've added to it, you know, adding to the time periods, their contents, to the scriptural limitations, and then just, just adding more. And every time you go through the Bible or go through a 
particular book, you're adding more to the content and, and just quizzing yourself and just keeping your, keeping yourself up on the balls of your feet, never getting laid back, but rather always trying to be actively engaged when you open up the word of God and just allowing it to shape your heart. And if you want the Bible to shape your heart, you're going to look for tools that you can use that can help you understand it better, keep all of the things that you're studying in context, and make sure that you're able to, as you dig deeper into the Bible, have an understanding of where those new pieces of information fit. Not because we want to academically understand the Bible, although that is important, but because we want the Bible to touch our hearts. We want to change. We want to be what God has called us to be. I encourage you to look into the three-cycle approach or the 17 time periods of the Bible. It is still available out there if you just Google it. And even if you don't use this tool, I hope you will search out tools that will help you in studying the Bible because knowing the Bible better, having it simplified in a way that we can wrap our brains around it is so important. We hope this has been helpful to you. And if so, please share it with somebody. Let other people know what we're doing here at Preach Impediments. You can find out more about us or hear past episodes at preachimpediments.com. Share it with everyone you love, and we'll be back with you in just a couple of days. Until next time.